0: We'll uh, go ahead and get started. People keep filtering in a little bit. That's fine. Regardless of what you think from the picture in the book, I'm Brian Vickers. Um, I don't have a lot of options in terms of my look, and so it just varies from time to time. Um, But uh, I'm really happy to be here. Just a little bit of background. Um, I teach here in Louisville at a seminary called Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, just right down the road. Um, This is my fourth or fifth year. Um, I'm on the board here of GMHC, uh, which is a huge, I mean, it's, it's a huge privilege for me. Will, if you get a chance uh, to see, if you know or see somebody has a tag that says Will Rogers, and he's going about 100 miles an hour past you, stop him and tell him how much you appreciate everything he does. And also uh, a woman called Julie Snip, who's at the registration. In fact, anybody who's here, you know there's 600 volunteers at this conference. Six hundred. Uh, and, you know, they, they're they here way before we get here, and they're here way after we leave. And, uh, I mean, here's some right here. They probably get, like, a Chick-fil-A sandwich or something for doing all this. Um, which is, you know, so anyway, uh, just to give you a little, this one, a couple of uh, qualifications. One, you have, if I grown, I have sciatica, kind of, it's, just, it's a pinched nerve in your back. And uh, my daughter has strep, and my wife has a virus, so, I mean, it, I should have brought them with me. I mean, if there's ever a place to say, is there a doctor in the house, this is, probably, this is probably the place. So if I groan or if I twist and then sort of melt down like that, don't worry about it. It's just me. And uh, I'll, I'll get through it. And uh, probably you're thinking, yeah, if you're a man and you're married, you're probably thinking, yeah, my wife had sciatica when she was pregnant. That's what everybody says. I say, I have sciatica. And you're like, yeah, my wife had that. So it's like me and every pregnant woman, I suppose. So I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. I'm really glad that you're here. I was joking. I, I, I looked at the schedule. Well, I've had the schedule for months. I looked at it for the first time yesterday and saw what I was competing with this morning. And you had to, you had to choose. One, on one level, you had diarrhea as one thing to choose from. And I was like, well, they can go get that. And then the other thing was women in missions, and I told my wife, I said, now I have this big long title, and there's another one with a long title, I said, but people have to choose between women in missions or diarrhea, or me, or then a couple other things. And so, I didn't know which one of those you'd rather have early in the morning, so I'm glad that you're here. Plus, it's really the only proper time you can say that word over and over publicly, and uh, you know, not be improper. So, I think I've said it like three times already. I'll try to work it in again before we're done. It's pretty neat to be able to say that out loud, I guess. Um, okay, what, what are we doing this morning? This morning is essentially a big Bible study. Um, I don't know what you're expecting when you came here, but you're already in the doors. Uh, we'll, lock, we'll lock them if we have to. Um, but essentially what we're going to do today is just have, um, we're going to start the day off with a, uh, a big Bible study. And you think, well, what, what part of the Bible are we are going to study? We're going to study the whole thing. The first quote we're going to see, actually, well, the second quote we're going to see is in Genesis. The last quote we're going to see is in Revelation. So we're going to hit the whole thing. We'll skip a few parts here and there, but we'll work our way through because this is one of my favorite topics ever to talk about, uh, not just in a missions context, in any context, uh, because uh, we often think of, uh, and I'll talk about this in a minute, we often think about missions in, ter- in the Bible in terms of certain, certain texts, Right? We have like a handful of texts that we go to. And we all know the, we all know the most famous one. We'll, we'll check that out in a second. But really, missions is not first about your calling. I mean, we, we struggle over this idea of calling, right? What's my calling? I, need to, I want to get this Macedonian call. You know where Paul gets this call to go to Macedonia? And we kind of sit around waiting for a Macedonian call. Well, what was Paul doing when he got the Macedonian call? He was doing missions already. He wasn't sort of at home just waiting for the sky to open up. Uh, So we think of that. We think of our gifts. That's important. You need to know your gifts. Uh, There's not a particular one sort of skill set you need to bring to the table. You just bring yourself. Uh, And then the second thing is, the third thing is we think of is geography, typically. Those three things. My personal call, um, my personal gifts, and geography. We think of missions as a place often. And the other thing we do is we think of, and this is probably the thing we do the most, we think of missions as a thing. It's a component of our lives, maybe. Or we think of it as something that those people out there do. And, and, you know, like people in outer Mongolia. Those are the people doing missions. And we, and we think, well, okay, I'm either a goer or a sender. And it's fine to talk in those kind of ways. We have to use words. And every word we use can't co- comprehend everything we mean, right? But <clears throat> we often get sort of caught up in these, this idea of, uh, really, like, what does it mean when we talk about the nations? What does the Bible mean when it talks about the nations? It doesn't mean what we typically mean. We define the nations by the nightly news or by the map, right? Political boundaries. That's how we understand. This, this is typically true of us. And I think when we see the word nations in the Bible, we think, yeah, United States of America, Mexico, South Africa, Kenya, India. I, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to keep naming them all. Um, Maybe that's all I know. I don't know. But, so, but, I'm not, but that's what we do. We think of political boundaries. That is not what nations means in the Bible. Now, of course, it comprehends that. But what does nations mean in the Bible? It means, it means it's a little bit complicated. It's referring to ethno-linguistic groups, what is sometimes called people groups, not political boundaries. You know, political boundaries are you know, it's not something in other words, to get to the nations, you don't have to have a visa first. Some places you do. But the fact is, you are the nations. We are the na- this is we're part of the nations. I don't care where you live. You know where you're living? In the nations. And so it's not first and foremost thinking about I've got to get to the nations. You're already there. Because you're already part of some ethno-linguistic, that's kind of a fancy thing that I like to say a bunch. I'm not exactly sure what it means. Um, (laughs) We're we're all part of a people group, every single one of us. And the fact is, especially if you're living this day and age, in virtually any town in America, the nations are in your backyard, right? And they might look just like you, they might look nothing like you, but we don't have to always just think of, how do I get to the nations? Well, we're part of it always. We're already part of the nations. So, what I want to do is uh, talk about missions in terms of a story. Now, it's kind of, it gets kind of hip and trendy these days to talk about story. Everybody loves to talk about story. And sometimes they use a really fancy word called meta narrative. Maybe you've heard that word. It just means a big story. And, but, you know, as trendy and hip as it is, it's true. The Bible is not just a collection of texts. The Bible is a story... And not like a bedtime story or like a once upon a time story. It's a story of what God is all about in the world. But it's not, it's not just a story that we kind of stand back and look at. And I think that's the most vital thing. Because these days, everybody's talking about the Bible as a story. But sometimes we talk about it as something we stand back and we look at that story. And don't realize that the point of the story in the Bible is for us to find that we are in that story. It's our story. Uh, there was a really famous uh, missionary called Leslie Newbegin. Some of, some of you probably have heard of him. If you see his writings, just get them and read them. He was in India, and he was talking to a, uh, a Hindu teacher. And this Hindu teacher said, he, this Hindu teacher had just read the Bible. And he's talking to Leslie Newbigin, and he says, I don't understand you Christians. You have this book that you talk about all the time, But you just sort of present it as a book of religion, and and he said, "We have tons of books on religion, more than you do, actually. But what you seem not to ever tell anybody is you actually have a story that comprehends or claims to comprehend every single story that there is in the Bible. But yet you come and sort of present it as you got to do this and you don't do this, and of course that's included, right? We don't want to throw; we want to be all either or today as much as possible." But the problem is, is we tend to be kind of both and. And I think what this guy saw is what we often fail to see in that the Bible is a coherent, big story picture of what God is doing in the world. And it explains, it explains and comprehends and identifies and shows the roots of and the ends of every story that there is. Period. Period. If you believe the Bible. Right? And so, that's what we are to about now. Having said all that, What is the go-to proof text for missions? Yeah. Right? Probably read this before. The Great Commission. It's a great text. I'm not throwing it out. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations... name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we have this text, and we have a handful of other texts that we kind of pull out of our pocket when we're talking about missions, especially when we think about missions as simply my own personal calling, uh, geography, and my own personal gifts, right? Again, we, can, we keep all those things. That's all part of the conversation. But that's not really how the Bible approaches missions. So we have these texts and we come to them, but a really good writer. If you don't know the name Christopher J H Wright in this book, The Mission of God, this is a really great book. It's huge. I highly recommend this book. It's really a whole biblical theology of missions. Uh, really, it's an Old Testament theology of missions. But um, he says this: We've already decided what we want to prove. That is missions. And I think that's sometimes how we read the Bible, especially when we're applying it to something as huge and important and life-changing on so many levels as missions. And, again, we don't have to throw this out, but I think what we have to see is these texts are all part of other texts. Here's what another one of my other favorite writers said. This is a little tiny, thin book. It's about this big. The Bible and Missions. You ought to get it. I know you're probably going to get like a zillion re- recommendations for books. We all instinctively understand the world by telling stories about it, right? When you tell, like this morning, I had a short conversation with this gentleman. We're walking by, and this, I mean, it was a thumbnail sketch, but we just kind of started telling each other our stories. That's how when you meet somebody, you kind of give them a bit of your story, and that's what they do to you. And that's how we comprehend and understand each other. We don't just sort of stand down and stand up to each other and kind of list bullet point facts about ourselves. We put it in the context of our lives. And that's just that's how we communicate, and that's how we remember things. So if the Bible offers a meta narrative, there's the big word, a huge story that comprehends everything, a story of all stories, then we should be able to place our own stories within that grand narrative and find our own perception and experience of the world transformed by that connection. So that when you're reading the Bible, and I mean today we're applying it to missions, it doesn't just apply to missions, you're reading not just a story out there, Or one story among many stories. We're reading the story. The one story that comprehends all stories. But it's our, if we have faith in Jesus, it's our story. You're always part of what you're reading. You're You're never meant to be distracted or just purely objective. Standing back, analyzing the Bible from a distance. You're always meant to be reading it as though it's speaking to you. You know, what this says, it says to me. And it says, to all, you know, it says to everyone, but that's the, that's the way we have to think about the Bible. And I think that's the way we have to think about missions. So, typically when I do this, I start in Genesis 1. This is a summary of the Bible. So this year, if somebody says, you read the Bible this year, you say, yeah, I did, actually. And somebody read it to me, too. So God created the world, created human beings who rebelled against him, attempting to become the one thing they could never be. That is, Creators. Right? There was one thing we could not be, and that's the thing we wanted to be. Rather than creatures. And then he set about carry, that's the fall. Then he set about carrying out his eternal plan to redeem them, us, through his son Jesus, and through him to create a new people who would believe, obey, and worship the only true God, and make his good news of life in Christ known to a world in rebellion, same world, and finally to establish fully his kingdom in a new heaven and new earth, with Christ the King reigning forever. There's some things left out, I understand. But that's sort of <laughs> That's, that's there's no way, I, you know what, I really want to recommend to you that you try to do this in one paragraph, and then read it back to yourself, and the more you think about it, eventually it's, it'll never stop. Because there's all kinds of, stuff. I can, even now I look at that and think, I shouldn't have put it that way. But that's kind of the big, that's kind of the big story. Now, here's where the story of missions in one way starts. It starts with a genealogy. You know the parts, you know when you're reading the Bible, the parts you skip? You get to it and you're like, yeah, my Bible reading's done. Right? The son of, the son of begat. Or if you're reading the King James, begat, 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 begat. And then you're done. i got to check it off. Right? I did my Bible reading plan today. But those, those genealogies are super important. Because they tell us a lot of things. And sometimes, almost always in the Bible, the genealogies are showing you something about God keeping his promises. And that's why, like the New Testament in Matthew and Luke, both have near the, at the beginning, and then near the beginning in Luke, these genealogies. And those genealogies tell the story of what God has been doing to keep his promises. But here's where it sort of starts. It starts Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees in the land of his birth. Abraham, or Abram at this point, and Nahor both married... The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. That's one of the most significant things, one of the most significant genealogies in the Bible. Now, what does a genealogy tell you? It tells you where you've been and where you're going. What does Abram's genealogy do right here? It comes crashing to an end. It stops. There's nothing left to say. Like you get to the end of this, you get to verse 30, Now Sarah was barren, she had no children. That's it. We're done. And what this does is this sets the scene for God to do this amazing work. And it all begins right here with this barren woman and this old man. And they're going to get more old before all this happens, right? Abraham's going to go way past his sell-by date. And um, (laughs) I've been waiting to say that for a long time. And uh, and Sarah, this, Sarah, she, she becomes Sarah, of course, it's the same. Now, then an amazing thing happens. Who's Abraham? What's special about Abraham? He's the father of nations. What's special about him before this? He's just the wife of some barren woman who is an idolater, pagan, living in Ur of Chaldees and moves to Haran. That's it. That's it. He didn't prepare himself. He wasn't searching for God. He was an idol worshiper. And that's why, like, later in Joshua, it'll say, say, make a choice. You're going to go back across the river and worship idols like your fathers? And he means Abraham. He's going all the way back. So God calls Abraham. He singles him out. This is amazing. Just think, here's this guy. And now God approaches him. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go into the land I will show you. Does that sound like something? Something like going to all the nations, something like that. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He can't have children. How's this going to happen? Right? It's sort of an upset. I mean, we take it for granted because we kind of know the story. But when we dig deeper, Abraham starts to falter. God takes him out. This is, this is years later. The promise hasn't been fulfilled. Abraham's getting ready to take somebody from his household and make him his heir. Because he still doesn't have a child. But he has this promise. You're going to bless all the nations. going to be blessed through you. I'm going to make you a blessing. But he still has no children. And he waits a long time. So he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And then... First time the word faith, believe, appears in the Bible. First time, and it's not the first time it's exercised, first time it appears in the Bible. Before God on the basis of faith alone. So, there's still something missing. If his offspring are going to be more than the stars in the heavens, what's he going to need? He's going to need a kid at some point. For this to happen. And this is what God has been promising. And of course he does. We're going to fast forward. So we come, now we're going to fast forward to Israel. And we'll talk a little bit about that just really briefly. Because we often wonder, did, uh, did the nation of Israel, were they on mission? Well, I don't think you can speak of Israel, Old Testament, Old Covenant Israel, as being on mission the way we are. Their job was more to be God's people in a place that more or less they would be observed as God's people. They didn't really have this mandate to go into the nations. You know why? Because the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. The message of blessing to the nations hadn't come yet. But they are to live, they are to live and show themselves to be God's people and show show the nations that they're different and that points them to that points the other nations to God. But but Israel's mission is not the same as ours, because it's awaiting the message. The message is developing and growing, and it's coming to its fulfillment centuries later. But we we can't speak in the same way, in the same way as, say, Israel having a mission and we having a mission. Uh, Theirs was to be, not so much to go. Okay. So, you start getting these promises of the nations, and people start... Popping up here and there. Really important people. Like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth. What's significant about those three people? Whose genealogy did they show up in? In Jesus' genealogy. They're all Gentile women. All of them. They're, none of them are Israelites. So in the lineage of Jesus, you have the nations already being included just through family ties. Already. And you have a few others who stand out, Naaman the Syrian, the Shumanite woman, you know, uh, and then the tragic figure of Uriah, but all Gentiles, but all who play, you know, some, some kind of role. But it's not burst open yet, but there's still this promise. I'm going to make, and all the nations going to be blessed through you. Now, you're going to be a great nation. Israel's going to be a great nation, but all the nations are going to be blessed for you, but, through you, but it's taking a long time to unfold. But we have hints. And we have more hints. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. So you be the people I'm calling you to be, and this will show me. That's what God is saying to them. right? So they're to, they're to be Israel right where they are. Now, here's how it starts to unfold. The Bible, really, pretty quickly, I mean, we, we won't go through the whole, um, all through the, we won't go through rebellion or anything like that, or the exiles. I mean, a lot of times you think about it, in the Old Testament, the nations play a very, very negative role. It's where Israel's sent in punishment. But you start to get these hints. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Isaiah, in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Another Isaiah, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish and Libyans and Lydians. Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. The promise is starting to, if you're reading the Bible really carefully, the promise is starting to reverberate constantly. And this is reverberating in the midst of all kinds of bad stuff. Israel's exile. But the, the promise hasn't been forgotten. And this is the promise of missions. That's what's going on. The story of missions is unfolding. It's unfolding. It's actually unfolding from, say, Genesis 3. And it starts unfolding again in Genesis 10. We have this thing called the table of nations. And then in, in Genesis 11, something weird happens. They build a tower. Everybody's speaking the same language. Um, and what happens? You know what happens. You know, they're, they're trying to go their own way, apart from God. And God punishes that. And what is created through the sin at the Tower of Babel? What's created? The nations. That's where the nations come from. They come from that horrible event in Shinar. And so it's, it's sort of roiling through what's happening. So you actually already have the nations before Abraham comes on the scene. And the nations are actually already listed before you get before you get the narrative of how they got to be that way. The table of nations comes actually a chapter before the event that makes the nations. So, through that event, you have the nations. and But this is centuries going by. Centuries. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. What's that last verse mean? Everywhere. Nothing left out. All the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. And that's what's going to happen. There's, a, day will come, a day will come when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge and glory of God. How? Through people going out to the nations. To do what? In the whole Bible, you have this thing that unfolds from sort of one to many, one to many, one to many. You have Adam, big skip. To the nations, right before you get to Abraham, then you have one man, Abraham. Then you have a nation, Israel. Israel to Jesus, and then Jesus to the nations. And that's how the Bible sort of cycles that way: one to many, one to many, one to many, one to many, until finally one day something incredible happens: a young couple from basically nowhere in Israel. Right? I mean, they're from the sticks. They walk into the temple. I mean, really, they're like the West, I'm from West Virginia. They're like the West Virginians of, uh, of the, of the first century. This is a couple, and they just have a baby, and they're just bringing, they're bringing their baby. Now, lots of stuff has happened, right? I'm, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. We know a lot about this baby already. But this big event, they come in, there's this guy, Simeon. They bring this little baby in, they're, they're fulfilling their, their role as parents under the law. This guy takes one look at this baby and says, this is it. This is everything we've been looking for. Not just everything we're looking for, this is everything the nations are looking for. Not just that, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Right here. And he holds this baby in his hand and looks at this baby and says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Think about that. Go to the doctor. So what do you hear? Right? He wasn't a doctor, but you go, the child's father and mother marveled. I guess they did, right? Now, you might think, well, but they've been told all kinds of strange stuff. Well, if you think about it, it was probably a kind of a confusing time, even with all the revelations they're getting. And so Simeon sees it in a person. Not in a thing, but in a person. Because really the story of missions is about a person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith, we're connected to him. And it becomes our story. And so, this is where it starts to explode. And here's what Paul has to say. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, into to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. That's what God was doing all along. There wasn't like a plan B. We have to dump this idea of plan B in the Bible. There is only ever, from Genesis 1-1 to the end, there is only ever plan A. God didn't do some stuff, and that didn't work out, so he comes up with another plan, that didn't work out, that didn't work out, he comes up with another plan. God's not sort of mending and fixing things as it goes along. There is one single plan, and Paul says this in Ephesians. God's eternal plan was to do what? To bring everything together in Jesus. He says that's his plan all along. And that's the story of the Bible. And that's your story. I'm supposing here, if you're here today, that um, you're interested in the stuff we're talking about at this conference. And what that means is, like I said at the beginning, this isn't just a story that you're standing out here looking at. This is a story that comprehends you, even if you don't really comprehend yourself. Even if you can't really make sense of yourself all the time, this is your story. This is the thing that anchors you, that grounds you. This is your identity. And there are people in this room today from all over the world. all kinds. I mean, how did we all get here? Think about that for a second. What are we doing here? This is what, can you imagine if this was like a voluntary, voluntary club? I mean, how did we all get here? Just look around you, just this second. It's incredible standing where I am and just looking around at the various sorts of people who are here. I mean, why are we here? Because through you all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. That's why we're here. So you have to read that. Through you, through Abraham, I'm blessed. The people beside me are blessed. The people in my church are blessed. All the the nations on the earth are blessed through Abraham. And that's their story. So, back to the Great Commission. All the things, I mean, that was really pretty fast. What time does this session end? 9.15? Oh, I thought it was 9.45. Alright. <laughs> you sure it's not 945? Okay. This is pretty good. We're almost there. And I know I've thrown a lot of texts at you. And I don't expect you to remember them all. But what I really just want you to do is to leave here today just encouraged by the message of the Bible. And seeing your place in it and understanding. And so when you read the Great Commission, that is the tip of a gigantic iceberg. What, is it, what does it mean? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. What, what do we do? We go out to the nations and tell them what? God's kept His promise. This is, fulfilling, this is God using us to spread the word of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That's what you're doing. When you go out, whatever your gifts are, whatever your calling is, whatever your geography is, those things are important on one level. But apart from all those things, when you go out and you are sharing the gospel with people, you know what you're doing? You're taking that blessing to the nations. God has you on board to go tell the people in the world across the fence, in your backyard, wherever, in the next apartment next door, to do what? To say God's kept His promises. The Great Commission is the fulfilling, the continual fulfilling of the promise to Abraham. Why? Because God has made everything right in Jesus. He's fixed it in Jesus. And that's what we do. So, If you think about that, the next time you are, the next time you're on mission, which means like every minute of your life, what are you doing? You're taking part in this story, not as an objective observer, not as somebody who just gives somebody facts, right? I mean, honestly, obviously we do give people facts, right? Again, remember, it's not, it's not, it's not either or, it's both and. But what you're doing is you're not just sharing a story. You're sharing your story. Just like the way you do when you meet somebody. And so we don't just have to present a a list of facts. We tell it like a story. The story that defines who we are. And then here's how it explodes. I'm not going to read all these. They're still wondering what's going to go on. And Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's Acts, right? We read the whole Bible, now we'll read all of Acts. Starts in Jerusalem, ends in Rome. In the first century, that's the end of the earth. Because if you're in Rome, you can go anywhere. I know it's not the whole world. But seriously, think about it. You have, it starts, the Bible, the New Testament starts with this little couple from the sticks. And ends with Paul in prison, preaching the kingdom to the most elite Roman soldiers that exist. The Praetorian Guard. Nobody, can, nobody even has access to those guys. You can't just walk up to those guys and start talking to them. But Paul, is, he's already gone all over the place, and now he's preaching in Rome. That's really incredible. And that's how Acts unfolds. Again, we've seen this before. Skip that real quick. Okay, here's a quick list that gets us up to today with some pretty big jumps. AD 49, Paul's in Turkey. 51, Paul's in Greece. 52, Thomas goes to India. 54, Paul's on his third missionary journey, third and last missionary journey. 174, kind of a There are Christians in modern-day Austria. 280, there are Christians in northern Italy. By 350, 53% of the Roman Empire at least claims Christianity. And you might, whatever you think about what was going on in Rome, the fact is, is only like a couple hundred years before that, Christians were being, or not even a couple hundred years, like a hundred years, less than a hundred years before that, Christians were being slaughtered by Romans. So whatever you think about Constantine, or if you've never even thought of it, put that aside. The fact is, you do have people confessing Jesus in an empire that was just recently slaughtering Christians wholesale. 432, Patrick goes to Ireland. 596, Augustine goes to England. In less than two years, there are 10,000 Christians in the British Isles. 635, Christians go to China. 740, Irish missionaries go to Iceland. 900, missionaries in Norway. 1,200, Bible in 22, 22 languages already. Before the printing press, when people had to write it all down. 1498, Christianity is in Kenya. And you have the Jesuits going everywhere. And then the Reformation. Now we're, I know we're going pretty fast now. Uh, and the dates are really expanding, but I had to bring this to an end. You have the modern missions movement later with people like William Carey. And then you have English Puritans. Right? I, I guess those need to be reversed. All, and then the European immigrants, that needs to be reversed too. Then you have Great Awakenings. Then you have Western Expansion. And then you have Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> From Jerusalem to Louisville. <laughs> Has anybody ever said that before? <laughs> that's pretty good. Next year in Louisville. Okay, um, that, that was an inside sort of Jewish joke, but uh, you know, next year in next year. In, but we'll say now. Um, but getting down to this very moment, that's how we got here. We got here because Jesus said, "You're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth." You want proof that God keeps his promises? You want proof that this story is true? Look around you right now. That's it. That's your story. You're part of this. Now, you might not, you're, probably not, you're probably not from Louisville. All of it. I know all of you aren't. I'm not even from here myself. But you get the point. You fill in your town somewhere along that thing. And that's what happened. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless you and I will make you a great blessing. And then Jesus comes and sacrifices himself for our sins. And then we get this thing called the gospel. And what's the gospel? It's the good news that God has kept his promise in Jesus. And so then, what's our job? Apart from your own personal calling, apart from your own personal gifts, apart from geography, what's your job? Your job is to live as salt and light as messengers of this good news that the nations are blessed through Jesus. That's what the Great Commission is. And that's what we do. Told you we get to Revelation. Here's the end. And it's a new beginning. It's not just the end. But what we need to understand is what we're doing right now is not just what we're doing in this little brief gap of time until we finally get to heaven. What we're doing now is directly connected, inherently connected in every way with what we will do eternally. Right? Not, obviously we're not gonna be sharing the gospel in heaven. But the point is, the point is, it's not as though well, we just live this sort of little life now and we do whatever it is we do, and finally we die, and it's you know, pie in the sky at the end. That's not how it is. You're already connected to everything you're ever going to be. Already. That work has already begun in you. And this is this is the this is the incredible vision at the end of the Bible. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The glory of God will cover the earth like the water covers the seas. And they were wearing white robes, totally clean. All that mess of your life that you're experiencing every day, clean, forgotten, over. No more tears, no more separation. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's kept His promises. And what we're doing is we're sharing this great news with everybody, which means whatever your gifts are, and there's probably some of you right now thinking, I don't really have the gifts. God's made you that you can do something. And He's not comparing you to the person beside you. God's not comparing, like, whatever missionary in this, in this uh, conference has the most experience and has brought the most people to, uh, to faith, has helped the most people, has served the most people, God's not comparing you to that guy or that girl. At all. At all. God's simply calling you to say, look, take your part in this story. I've done everything. I've done everything. So go tell the nations. God keeps his promises. And one day we'll see it. What we see a brief glimmer of right here today in this room is just sort of a, believe it or not, a kind of a glimmering, sometimes barely perceptible foretaste of what's to come because God's kept his promises. And that's the story of missions. That's the story of God's plan of redemption, which is not just his story, but my story and your story. And all we have to do is tell people about it. And you don't have to have a special skill set to do that. You just bring it to the table, whatever God's made you to do. Because it's no matter what your skill set is, no matter what your geography is, no matter what your personal calling is, it's the same story. The same exact story. There's not more than one story. And that's what God calls us to do. And so that's our overview of the Bible this morning. I know it's really fast, and I'm talking like a thousand miles an hour. Um, but this really excites me. And so... We have time for a half a question, if anybody has a question. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. How do you spell Leslie New? How do you spell that name? N-E-W B I N G E N. Yeah, like new Bing N. Yeah. Yeah, I might not have even spelled it right just now. You'll get you know, Google will correct you. Okay. Right? All right. Um, yeah, real quick. Can you post slide somewhere? Oh, man. Yeah, I can somehow do that. Which means I'm going to get somebody else to do it. Uh, but, yeah, I'll talk to Will and see if there's some way to get maybe this on the site or something, if he's willing to do that. Um, I could make a really dangerous offer in terms of my email inbox. <laughs> Let me figure out a way to do it, Okay. All right, thanks. You've been great. I know I just sort of deluge you with text, but I hope you're encouraged.